Let us turn to the word, Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Amen. God is the Lord of grace. 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 For he is the Lord of grace. He shows grace. So another word for grace in the Bible is mercy. Uh, he shows his mercy, his grace to whom he shows grace. So Exodus thirty three nineteen says that. So to whom he desires, he gives. To whom... He desires, he shows. So that showing is his grace, his mercy, uh, and it is to whom he desires. And he leads by grace those whom he redeemed by grace to arrive in the holy dwelling in the end. Exodus fifteen thirteen um, talks about that. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Where do you think this holy dwelling is? For us believers today, it is not the promised land in the middle in the Middle East in this uh, in this world, but in the Father's house outside the universe. How many of you want to go there? Amen. The heaven that you want to go there is there. Amen. Yeah. So that's the holy dwelling because the holy God is there, and for us to get there, He leads by grace those whom He redeemed by grace. So faith is to believe that I have been redeemed. We've been talking about redemption, right, past few weeks. So I have been redeemed. But specifically today, we are looking at another layer uh, uh, to the word redemption or to redeem as in purchase. So to believe that I have been purchased by the blood, by the precious blood of Yeshua. And therefore, I have become his. I belong to him. How many of you believe that you belong to him but because of his blood. Amen. Amen. To be bought, however, to be bought. So to be bought, to be purchased by his precious blood, and because I have been bought, I belong to him. I am his possession. I am his. That's what faith is. That's where faith begins. And therefore, you live your faith life thereafter. So you don't have faith life without faith. And faith is what faith life is based on. So faith life is to practice what we just have confessed, what we confess to be our belief. And that is to be led by his grace until entering the holy dwelling. What do I need to be doing? I need to be my master's joy. I need to be joy to my master. Amen? Uh, to be joy to my master, to become his joy, and to be profitable to my master. That is what we ought to, how we ought to be living each and every day as believers. I know, it's like, ooh, wow, that sounds pretty serious. Um, uh, I spoke about the word redemption here. The past few weeks, we talked about the grace of forgiveness. Two weeks ago, last week, we talked about um, Christ's redeeming love, um, and today completes the uh, the three different aspects of the word redemption. In English, just redemption or atonement, uh, 
but redemption itself is to atone, right? To uh, make amends, as I said last week, to compensate for the wrongdoing. And, in, and we understand in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the word atonement is mentioned many uh, times in, uh, in English, in, in English translation. Um, and that is to generally to pay the price of sin, to, um, to compensate for wrongdoing uh, and the wrong one has committed, you have to pay the price. So the first meaning is that a sacrifice dies um, for the sinner to be forgiven. So that's the first aspect of the word or the aspect or the meaning of the word redemption. To redeem is uh, having a sacrifice die to have the sinner's sins be forgiven. So that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Um, and then last week, we talked about a sacrifice dying in, instead of, or in, substitute or in place of the sinner, right? So that uh, was the message last week. Christ died in place of me. Christ died instead of me. Can we say that? That's right. So in place of me, instead of me, for he who knows no sin died for me. Now I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ. I live for him who died for me. Now today's focus is on uh, paying this price, so making a payment um, with the blood of the sacrifice. So there um, is this transaction. So I, you know, I was saying to Pastor Kang, I was like, this um, concept of redemption, which is the basis of the Christian faith, right? Because God redeeming for mankind is unique, uh, exclusive to the Christian faith. While religions are all about paying the price on your on your own. You know, earning your way to heaven, earning your way to God. You, do, you get what you deserve. Purely based on retribution, one is saved or not. That's what religion is. But in the Christian faith, what makes Christian not a religion? What did I just say? Christianity is not a religion. The unique quality is that there is God redeeming for mankind. Are you grateful for that? Amen. Yes. So this redemption... Uh, I was discussing with Pastor Kang. It's like this concept is very difficult in, in the sense that um, it's legal concept and it's also transactional. So there's, there's financial aspect to it because there's price. You have to pay a price and there is exchange. Um, and especially for this um, you know, part here, this meaning that paying a price uh, with the blood of the sacrifice, here we are coming to a point where not just Christ died uh, in place of me, but Christ shed his blood for me to purchase me. Altogether, Christ shed his blood for me to purchase me. So purchase me? Humans? What? Are we talking about slavery? Yeah. So it is in the context of slavery, uh, this concept is familiar. And in the Old Testament, you will read the word, you will see the word redemption, redeeming um, uh, things and redeeming with the price uh, individuals, right? So in the context of Hebrew slaves, even. So um, the analogy there, uh, the definition there is buying back. So to be specific there, to redeem is to buy back or repurchase what was previously uh, lost or forfeited. Um, and again, in the slavery context, which is um, Obviously, it's, it's terrible, and we, we do not condone that. But in the old times when that was allowed, um, there were at times kinder masters. I mean, the fact that a human owns human is, is not right. But in that time, there were um, who were 
worse than others and nicer than the others. And, uh, and in main cases, um, slaves will try to attempt to, um, you know, run away. Um, and they do run away and disappear. But in, in that uh, context, they will disappear and, you know, try to survive, but then would get captured by some other, you know, owners, and then they would be abused there and terribly treated uh, and be tossed around. But at some point, they get old and sick and not able to work so well. They just kind of like dumped it into the quote-unquote market, right, the auction. And then um, they get hopefully traded for some money. Um, And that's when um, the previous kinder master sees this um, really sad, pitiful slave um, being sold. And because of his good, the goodness of his heart, seeing that he's mine, he needs to come to my household and I will take care of him, let him work for me, but I will feed him and, and take care of him. So he chooses to uh, bid for the highest price for that slave who's a runaway. So that moment of purchasing with a price, which he already paid initially, right, when he bought him younger or whatever, but then secondly, uh, he's paying now to repurchase, although, again, he, him running away and disappearing is, you know, out, was out of his control and was lost, but now he wants him back, so he pays the price second time. So that slave belongs to him. So in that, why do we talk about slavery? It's because spiritually all men became slaves uh, because of sin under the devil. And the devil is not legitimate owner. He stole mankind um, uh, from God. And then here is God, from the beginning, planning to be the redeemer, to repurchase. Another example would be pawn shop. A pawn shop or pawn uh, broker. I think most people, especially young people, might not know what that is. Um, there are still pawn shops out, out there. Uh, it's a way for people who don't have the means to you know, uh, pay for something. They will bring whatever materials that they have to leave it with the pawn shop or pawn um, broker, they're called. So whether it's some kind of watch or jewelry or even, I read like TV set. I mean, who brings their TV set nowadays? But anyways, the TV set, they can bring TV set or, or telephone, uh, a telephone, you know, a smartphone or tablet, whatever. So they bring it to the shop. The shop looks at, shop owner looks at it and says, oh, okay, it's worth $200, $300. And then the pawn broker will give cash, right? That What's worth that, um, you know, what the value of that item is. Uh, and then holds that item while this person who needs the money takes this loan. It, it's a loaning system that is not, it, not through bank, but through this like shop, uh, an, an individual shop. And then there is interest to be paid while the money is taken out. And it's with the promise that they will return the money and they'll get their telephone back or they'll get television back, uh, their gold watch back. Um, so while they're holding the good, it's called collateral. So they're, they're actually holding it. Um, so they have some given time for them to pay back. But if they don't bring it back and pay back with the interest, then um, the, the, uh, the pawn shop or the pawn uh, broker gets to keep the collateral and sell it to someone else for that money. So um, the, in the definition, the biblical definition to redeem includes this idea of pawn shop uh, and slavery um, setting, which is to purchase back. So with that in mind, we approach the Bible and, and understand from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth, and because he's the creator of heavens and the earth and everything in it, he is the owner of all things. How many of you believe that? Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
Psalm 50, 10 to 12 says, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on the thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains. Wow. How many of you know every bird in, your, in the mountains? God knows every bird in the mountains. Oh, my Lord. He knows every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields. He knows them all because he made them all and they are his. Do you agree? If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. Haggai 2, 8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Not only these objects and the creatures, Psalm 103 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So all things, small to big, made by him, for he's the creator, the maker of all, all belong to him. Humans belong to him. Humans are his. Amen. And God made man dust from the dust of the ground. And, and not only um, did he make man to be physical, fleshly, made up of dust, but choosing one of them, he breathed into um, him the breath of life, making him a living being. Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. How did the man become a living being? The breath of life from God. That's right. Because God is spirit and that spirit is life. When he breathed into the man, man who was physically breathing in and out, oxygen and carbon dioxide, all that, he was doing that. He was functioning. But into that man, God breathed spirit and the man became a spiritual being living inside the flesh. And together it's called a living being. And he is our ancestor, the ancestor of all mankind. His name is Adam. And he lived in the Garden of Eden. And we all come from him, not just physically, but spiritually. So when he was made a living being, I too became a living being. So let's say together, I'm a living being. Simply, I'm Adam because I I inherited the spirit of Adam. And to this uh, living being, God um, gave the word to live by because spirit needs to live by the word of God. And he needs to obey that word, which forbid him from eating uh, from one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he was deceived by a snake, a serpent, uh, that was actually the fallen angel, the devil, who spoke through this serpent and saying, um, you can eat the fruit. God said, God told you not to eat the fruit and said, you will surely die. But I tell you, God was lying. It's not true. You will be like God instead. You will not die. Uh, and Adam ate that fruit. That moment of hearing the lies, of course, uh, the lies were, um, uh, you know, given through, um, through the woman Eve, um, she carried that message. Um, that mo- at that moment, Adam forgot the grace of God. The fact that he did not deserve to be in such a wonderful environment called the Garden of Eden. Certainly he had the responsibility of taking care of the garden. But he didn't have to labor, like suffer, to survive. It, 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 he could eat from any trees, any bush, anything. And it was such a lovely environment. Uh, but the moment he hears the words like, do you know why he doesn't want you to eat? Because he doesn't want you to be like God. <gasps> You're right. How greedy of God. Why does he not allow me to eat that one thing? And 99 everything else, but that one thing is limited, right? And, and it's off limit. And I can't, I, I'm forbidden to take from that. So that moment he became ungrateful. He forgot the grace of God and sinned. And then the result is, Second Peter 2.19 says, For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So the one who wins from that battle is the devil. Because the devil is speaking those words through the serpent, the snake. And then the man listens to those words and follows. And as a result of following those words, 
Adam becomes a slave to the devil, but we're not just talking about one singular man, but we're talking spiritually, all men connected to him, and therefore all men becoming slaves to the devil. If you understood that, say amen. Yes? And who is the devil anyway? The devil um, is actually someone who was made as an archangel in the spiritual heaven before any of the material world was made. He was made to uh, worship God, glorify God, his name in the spiritual heaven. But even... um, even though he was given all the beautiful things like talents and that environment, he became ungrateful. And people, uh, follow, uh, people, angels praising him, and he, become, he was beautiful and talented. He was so proud that he forgot the grace of God uh, that was given to him, uh, and therefore he wanted to be like God. So you can see how that's repeated, right? So he becoming the origin of sin, and therefore God cast him out of the spiritual heaven, uh, and he contained him by creating this universe called Hades, whole Hades, um, and that's the place that is now reserved for the fire of hell, Second uh, Peter 3, um, 7 on, um, it says, and now he's bound here, uh, as Jude 1, 6 says, until the great judgment day. But God's, um, so all men now becoming slaves of the devil, since Adam will now follow whatever the devil says to do, and the with the devil be thrown into the fire when this whole place is set on fire in the end. But because God is the God of, or the Lord of grace, his work of redeeming mankind began when he called on the people of Israel through Moses. Now, when he did that, Moses uh, went into a people who had been enslaved in Egypt, um, and there were signs that were performed to convince them that the God of their ancestor The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob was now calling them out to be their God and they be his. And for the nine plagues, the the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, didn't budge. But the very last, he gave up. What was the last line? The Passover night. What happened that night? Every firstborn, humans and animals died all across the land of Egypt unless... The people follow God's instruction and kill the lamb and put its blood around the doorframe. This is called the blood of the Passover lamb. So the blood of the Passover lamb or the blood of the lamb would be put and the spirit of death will pass over. So the firstborn inside of that home will be, their lives will be spared. So through that process, Isaiah 62, 12 reminded them they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. So they will become redeemed people of the Lord, the holy people of God. So the people of Israel will now change their status once being slaves of the Pharaoh. Remember slavery, right? This is a continuing theme. So slaves of the Pharaoh, now through the blood of the lamb, they become a holy people of God, the redeemed people of God. Can you do a quick review with your neighbor what I just said? What is it? Through the blood of the lamb. Who becomes what? What becomes what? Some people are just looking at me praying. They're like, please, don't make me do this. No, I'm making you do it. Yes? So the people who are once slaves in Egypt become a holy people of God, the redeemed people of God through the blood. So as you heard last week, uh, um, that the firstborns were redeemed, the Levites were redeemed, um, because the firstborn survived during the Passover, um, that uh, they had to redeem the firstborn with lamb every year, remembering the Passover, right, from that point on. 
Exodus 13, 12 commanded. And then Numbers 3, 45, uh, the Levites will take place of all the firstborn of Israel and the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. So the Levites are to be mine, the Lord said. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. So there, the Lord is a little, uh, not only just Lord as in master, the owner, but uh, it's actually referring to his name specifically, Jehovah. So it is to, uh, they were to remember that they belong to Jehovah, who is their Lord, their king, their master, their owner. Uh, and then they were given commandments to obey. And specifically, they had regulations about what kind of price to put on each person uh, should they be, should they need to be redeemed? So in Leviticus 27, uh, two to seven, um, it says, if anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord by giving the equivalent value, we're not talking about human sacrifice, but they're, they're, they're vowing this person's life to the Lord. Then they are to exchange it with value, with goods, right? So then set the value of male, Pay attention to which category you fall into. Set the value of a male between the ages of 20 and 60. This is a big range. 68, and you guys thought that you were young. Okay, so 20 to 60. How old are you? 27? Okay, so you're in that category. So 27, 20, 20 to 60 um, at 50 shekels of silver. What, what is shekel? Anyway, so shekels from ancient biblical time. Um, it, it's like debated, but overall I was searching and it's a half shekel equals eight grams of silver. And that's about $5 today. Yeah. $5 today. Half shekel, half shekel. So, um, Christian, how much, um, value do you have for your body? He's like, math is not my forte. Um, I, I get you. I get you. And I'm putting you on the spot here. So 20 to 60 is a 50 shekel. So 50 shekel. So it's $10 for a shekel. So it's, it's 10 times 50. 500. Oh, not bad. $500. All right. $500. Okay. Um, according to the sanctuary shekels. So for a female. Sorry, ladies. Uh, a value at 30 shekels. Hmm. I know, right? For a person between ages of 5 and 20. Anybody? 5 in here? No. 5 to 20. Set the value of a male at 20 shekels and a female at 10 shekels. For a person between 1 month to 5. Wow. Set the value of a male at 5 shekels of silver and that of female at 3 shekels of silver. What about people who are over 60? Old or more? Set the value, set the value of a male at 50, 15 shekels and of a female at 10 shekels. Bob's like, I'm glad I'm not in that category yet. Yeah, I'm yet. <laughs> yet. Okay. So, so there's difference between young and old, male and female. What's the point of all this? We're not going to practice to say. This is to understand um, the value of the human body and really how worthless we are and what kind of price God will pay to purchase us. So the sanctuary that the people of Israel were commanded to build in the form of the tabernacle in the desert first and then the temple of Jerusalem later on have the name of the Lord God. The Lord God in English, but uh, specifically it's Jehovah. And they were to remember Jehovah is the redeemer of Israel. What do they remember? Jehovah is the redeemer of Israel. Isaiah 49 verse 7 says that. And Jeremiah 31 2 says, this is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the wilderness. I will come to give rest to Israel. Now, when they left their slavery in Egypt, as Moses spoke to them, the God of your ancestors sent me, and now you're going to be delivered uh, from your slavery, from the hands of the Pharaoh, and... 
be set free and you will enter which land? The promised land of Canaan. So with that in mind, they follow Moses. But they didn't get to the promised land right away, as you heard last Friday. There was in-between journey called the wilderness. The wilderness life. And that lasted for them for about 40 years. So they had to be led by the grace of Jehovah who led them out of their slavery. But during the wilderness time, every single day, day after day, they had to be led by his grace. They were delivered by his grace from the heavy yoke of Egypt, Exodus 6, 6. The hands of their enemy, Psalm 107, 12 says, and from famine and battle, Job 5, 20, and from all troubles, Psalm 25, 22, oh, this is going to be in the summary. So they were going to, they were, um, going to remember, they were, they were commanded to remember that how they were delivered from all these troubles. But all the troubles that are mentioned and reminded over and over again were physical troubles, fleshly troubles, and not spiritual. But because God is gracious, he led their people um, through um, their, uh, first through the desert life. And once they enter the promised land, uh, as they built their kingdoms through their hardship, he led. But because their life became comfortable, they took it for granted how they were redeemed by the Lord. And as a result, disasters continued. Famine continued. Um, defeat kept, continued to come for them. So Psalm 70 and 42, they did not remember the power of the Lord. The day that he redeemed them from their uh, oppressor. Because they forgot their past. They forgot the reality. How they were redeemed. In spite of that. They thought that they deserved this on their own. And therefore they were rebellious. And disobedient. And arrogant. As a result they were punished. But because the temple was still standing. They did not lose their hope. Because the temple had which name again? The name of Jehovah. What is the name? Uh, what is the name of? The redeemer of Israel. So when one name claiming that he has been sent by God, coming in the name of Yeshua before that temple, what did he say that made the Jews upset? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. When he said that, they were angry because this is the temple that has the name of the Redeemer of Israel. And at the time, if you remember, they lost their sovereignty. The kingdom broke into two, and even the two kingdoms fell apart. They had been uh, occupied by other nations, left and right. And there were times where they actually ruled uh, briefly. But once again, back um, foreign powers coming and occupying, colonizers are coming. So at the time, it was the Roman Empire, that, and they had no sovereignty. Therefore, as long as the temple is still standing, they did not lose their hope. One day, we'll be set free. One day, we'll reclaim our, our nation, our uh, sovereignty, and our independence. So they were waiting for the restoration of Israel. They were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So when Yeshua said, destroy this temple, they were angry. But what Yeshua was referring to was a temple of his body. Altogether, the temple of his body. Destroying it refers to his death. And I'll raise it again in three days. He's not talking about the building, but his resurrection. So he's talking about the temple of his body. And he's saying, I have come to redeem, become the redeemer, not of Israel in the name of Jehovah, but I have come in the father's name of Yeshua to be the redeemer of the souls of all men, whether Jews or Gentiles, because I'm going to be the redeemer of the souls of all men. Amen. And this time to redeem them not from the troubles of the flesh, like of the past in the Old Testament, but 
Hosea 13, 14 said, I will deliver these people. This is a prophecy. I will deliver these people from the power of the grave, power of Sheol, the power of Hades. I will deliver them from the power of hell. That's what he was saying. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your place? Where, O grave, is your destruction? So that prophecy by uh, um, Hosea in the Old Testament is not about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, the physical redemption, but it's talking about spiritual redemption, to be redeemed, to be saved from the death of the spirit from hell. Hallelujah! And that will be done not through the blood of animals, but the blood of the Son of Man. As he said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve by giving his life as a ransom. And that he would pay the price with his own blood. In the Old Testament, it was with the blood of the lamb, blood of animal, animal sacrifice. But here's the Son of Man. He's going to do it because he is the gracious God. Let's go to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So in the beginning there is different from in the beginning of Genesis 1-1, right? There are two places where those two phrases appear, the, the, the phrase appears in the Bible, in the beginning. The, the phrase in the beginning in Genesis is talking about the beginning of time, the beginning of the creation of the world. But here in the beginning, even though John is much later than the book of Genesis, is referring to eternity when God decided on his will, his plan. And he decided to reveal himself through the word. So the word is not the entirety of God, but the part of God that was planned, decided to be revealed one day. Because God is the God of revelation. And what is he going to reveal? That he is the Lord of grace. How is he going to do it? Through the word. Through what? Reveal what? The grace. That he is the Lord of grace. And what is the grace? The grace of his redemption. So that word, in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word who was with God, who was God, again, God is the Lord of grace. The word was also the Lord of grace. Where it says the word was God, it means God's attributes are all contained in the word, the same. Philippians 2.6 says he's the very nature of God. So the nature, the essence of the word is God. Do you understand this? And God is the Lord of grace, who gives grace to whom he gives grace. And that grace is grace of redeeming the souls of all men. That was the plan from the beginning. But because people can't understand it at the get-go, God did it gradually, stage by stage, starting with the people of uh, Israel in the Old Testament. But now the word has come in the flesh of man, born a baby and growing up just like us. So in the eyes of men, he's human just like us. But his body is actually the word that became flesh. The word became flesh. The spirit became flesh. So what is his flesh made of? Spirit. The word became flesh. The word became blood. Say with me those things. The word became flesh. The word became spirit became flesh. Spirit became so what is his blood made of? Spirit. And who is it given to? So when he said, drink my blood, the people thought, are you, we're not cannibal. We don't drink no blood. We don't even eat anything raw. Are you kidding me? 
John 6, when he talks about that, right? So blood, drink my blood. He's talking about the spirit blood given to the spirit of men. Amen? So the infinite God, whose grace is infinite, became finite in the finite flesh. But his infinite grace is still within the finite body to one day be broken and spilled out to be shown to the souls of all men. Hallelujah. So the limitless God, the infinite God became or came in the limited finite flesh. But his nature never changed. The nature is the same, which is that he's the Lord of grace that will be shown to all men by redeeming them, repurchasing them to belong to him. But nobody understood that. So the Jews who had um, followed him, watching, uh, seeing his um, miracles, and they did see that he had good character, and they were hoping that perhaps he is the Messiah that was prophesied to come. But they interpret the Messiah not spiritually, but physically, politically. And they said, he must be the redeemer of Israel who will lead us to the restoration of our nation. So when he had said, in Luke 21 and Luke 24, he's, uh, in Luke 24, the people had said, 24, 21, we had hope that this guy, right, Yeshua, was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more than the third day, so all this, he, they were hoping for that Yeshua was the one who would redeem their nation. And he had, Yeshua himself said, your redemption is drawing near. So that gave them hope. Wow, our freedom is coming. Our independence is coming. But the more they heard him, they kept talking about the Son of Man dying. And then in three days he will resurrect. And then the Son of Man will be taken up. But he's coming back in a cloud with power and great glory. That's in Luke 21, 27, 28. Speaking of his death, his resurrection, his return, the people were like, we don't know. we're not receiving that. We don't get what you're saying. We're confused. This is not practical. Wait a minute. Maybe you're not our Redeemer. So they all left him one by one. And in the end, they all were unified to crucify him. But Yeshua knew that that was why he was sent by the Father. So when he went to the cross and died, he said, what did he say? He said, it is finished because that is the moment that he came to accomplish, which is the moment of his death. That is not because he became weak. That is not because God abandoned him. But that was the command that he had to obey. John 10, 17, 18. And he did it willingly. The command of the father was that he laid on his life. Only through that act of obedience, submission, the father's will of revealing his attribute, his nature, being the gracious Lord that redeemed all mankind just because. Not because they deserve it, but because who he is. Because of who he is, he will do this work. Only through the son obeying the command of the father, that will would be done. And it was done. And through his death, the son, Yeshua, will glorify the father. And through his death, what he meant was the father. Father, you alone are the redeemer. Before mankind, his own soul, redeemer for himself. As Hebrews 5, 7 says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Because he was reverent of the Father and his word, he submitted to the Father's word, which was laying down his life willingly, so that the Father would be glorified, revealed as the Lord of grace, and in turn, 
The father saved the son, pulled him out from this grave called Hades. Ho Hades, the universe that will become hell. Hallelujah! Do you understand? That's what was accomplished. The will of the father was done when Yeshua died. And that he simultaneously, how he did that was that he condemned the enemy, the devil. So when he became the enemy of God in the angel by rebelling against God, the, the angel who was once named Lucy L becomes Lucifer. He's known as Satan to God. But once man's made, he's known as the devil because he does the work of dividing, separating. But what the devil did at John 10, 10, is that he became a thief. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, and? That's right. No good news at all. What the devil did was he came. He was here before. That's what Yeshua said in John 10. You know, the thief was here first. Meaning, historically, the devil was already contained in the universe. And what has he been doing? Roaming around the earth, stealing what belongs to God. And he did that successfully when he... Uh, deceive Adam through Eve. But that was, again, all within God's plan. It's not like God was sleeping or God did not calculate that. Oh, my God, what happened? I lost my stuff. Oh, my God, I lost all. Son, you got to go and get them. Okay, Father. What, what do I need to do? Uh, you need to go and look like them and then and, and die for it. That's not how it happened. There's no plan B to God. There's only one plan. And that is the perfect plan that he placed in eternity, which was fulfilled through the son as he died. And he condemned this thief, the devil who stole the souls of men. Hallelujah. And men who are men. Again, to to that work, God used human who are known as the first Adam. We talked about that last night as well. The first Adam. Because he would come as the last Adam. I know all this is maybe new to so many people, but in Logos, we talk about this. We've been talking about it before. So all mankind is known as the first Adam. The Bible says so in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five. The first Adam, spirit living in the flesh, living being. Yeshua came as the last Adam. So one for one. He would die in place of, right? We learned that last week. But here, he is going to pay through his death. The reason why crucifixion was the way of his death and not being pushed over to, over a cliff or being burned or drowned was only through crucifixion his flesh will tear to let out his blood. Do you understand that? Crucifixion was practiced hundreds of years prior to the time of Jesus, you know, I mean, humans are evil. They think, I mean, it's a, it's a form of deterrence, you know, so it showed to people, you do this and it's going to happen to you. But the people had already put that into practice. The Babylonians were practicing and those ancient people were practicing this form of execution. And they've done all kinds of stuff, skinning people alive and burning alive, all that, but crucifying. And that was in fact prepared for the son of man to die by shedding his blood. If you think of that way, like the history and all that happens, not by chance, but God's grace, God's grace, according to his timetable to prepare the way that Adam had committed sin. So all men died in sin. All men were born dead in sin in the spirit. All men without knowing became slaves of the, without knowing all will follow the devil to hell without knowing. 
But to make that be known, God began his, in history of mankind, redeeming mankind first with the people of Israel, all as a shadow, foreshadow of what would be accomplished through the Son at the cross. And at the cross, what he did was, as we read in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That through his blood, he will redeem. He will pay the price of sin for all men, but he will purchase them back. He will buy us all back from the devil. Even though the devil stole as a thief, God could have been like, give it back. Give it back. You have, you have sibling at home, you grow up, I know people who have kid, more than one kid at home, always fighting. Give it back, give it, mommy, give it back, give it back. I remember my neighbor, she had like three kids. I'm like, I can't stand the fighting. I'm like, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I can't stand the fighting. They're fighting all the time, pulling their hair. and Give it back, give it back. God could have been done. God could have done that. Slap him and he's like, give back. It's mine. But God is not on the low level of a creature like this fallen angel, Satan, the devil. He's going to do it the right way because he's a righteous God. He's a Lord of grace. And because he had that in plan that he was going to, the word will become flesh. Part of him was going to be the word that will become flesh. That will be torn to let out blood. The blood that is spirit that became blood. The word that became blood. That spirit blood will be poured out for the spirit of men to pay the price of their sin. Our sin, my sin, and be bought back to belong to God, belong to Yeshua. Hallelujah. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Hallelujah! His blood is spiritual. His blood is eternal. So his redemption is eternal. We don't need to give sacrifice year after year anymore. That's why I say destroy the temple. No more need for the temple, no more need for a priest, no more need for animal blood. His blood is eternal. It has eternal value. Amen? It has eternal power. And no one can take us away from him anymore. Hallelujah. The only way souls can escape this burning universe. Every week we've been talking about it, right? The, the purpose of life, the goal of life, and where do we live? What is my current location? And how do I get out of here? And we're talking about righteousness by the law of faith. And then now we've been talking about redemption these past three weeks. Today being the third here. And we're understanding that the way we can escape this burning universe is by spiritual blood. The blood that is spirit. It is not blood of man or blood of animal, but it belong, it's a blood that belongs to the incarnate word. The word that became flesh, the word that became spirit. Certainly people can say, well, his body is 33 years old. And how much is that? That's in the same category as from 20 to 60, 50 shekels. So his blood, isn't that worth 50 shekels? About what, some hundreds of dollars? No. His body is spirit. His blood is spirit. And it has eternal power to overcome death, overcome sin, overcome the grave. It has eternal value. Therefore, no one can outbid that price ever that we have been bought by him, bought back by him to belong to him forever. If you are happy about that, say amen. That is the plan of God. Let's read that again in Isaiah 63. We've been reading with Pastor Kang and here a couple times. 63, 16. But you are... Our father, though Abraham does not know us, or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father, our redeemer, 
from of old is your name. Certainly, this is from the Old Testament, but what is so moving here from of old does not mean like ancient, like Old Testament, but actually everlasting, from everlasting. So you, Abraham does not know, Israel does not know, but now we know you as our Father, our Redeemer, and this is your desire from eternity to be the Redeemer, not of of a nation made up of physical body, flesh and blood, but Redeemer of the souls of all men in Adam. Hallelujah! God used Adam to destroy the enemy, certainly. Yes, man prepares sin and death for the last Adam to come with sin put on his body to die because his body being spirit cannot be killed by nails or spear, but it's sin that kills the spirit. Understood? Because the price of sin is death and death produced uh, that death came to all men when Adam sinned. We all inherited spirit uh, and from him and sin and therefore all died now having to go pay the price of sin in hell, which is the second death. But Yeshua, by dying through his death, which is the spirit body, that he would let out his blood, and by that blood, with that blood, he will purchase back all men who are meant to belong to him. But for a little bit, for a little while, the thief stole. But now he paid the price, and that price is the highest price, and it is eternal value. No one can ever take us away from our Redeemer, Yeshua. Why don't you say amen a little louder so in the recording we get better sound of what? Thank I'm turning up the volume. I don't hear it. Like usually you hear Reynoso, but amen, I hear her. But sometimes she's not here because she's just like teaching over there. I'm like, crank up the volume. What do we say? Amen. amen. Yes, he rose from the grave and he sat on the throne. He's the lamb of God who was slain. And it's from that throne in the name of Yeshua, the Holy Spirit was sent. Not to the unbelieving world, but to the believers in the world. Who are believers? Who have first confessed, repented their sinners, doomed to to hell because of the price of sin, but by the grace of God, they have re- re- welcomed the blood of Yeshua into their soul. Say amen if you have received the blood of Yeshua. It doesn't go to your physical body. It goes to your spirit because the spirit blood goes to spirit. And that blood has the power to, has, it has redeemed all of us 2,000 years ago. The impact of receiving that blood into my life one by one, individually, establishing a relationship with Yeshua is that my many, many sins are forgiven. My many, many sins are forgiven. And now I understand that he died for me. He replaced me. He substituted my place on the cross. So I must now live a sacrificial life on his behalf. Because the world does not see Yeshua anymore. All they see is those who believe him, those who follow him. So that was last week's message. But now, understanding that I have been bought back to my original and eternal master. And his name is Yeshua. And he bought me at the price of his precious blood. Let's go to Acts twenty twenty eight. Keep watch over yourselves, all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with what? Who is he? No, it doesn't say that. God. It says the church of God, right? So God, he there is referring to God. So what is it saying? 
The blood of Yeshua is the blood of? The blood of Yeshua is? So if I have been bought back by the blood of Yeshua, I have been bought by the blood of God. Do you realize that? I don't know what the excitement is all about. These are people who have no hope. So unspiritual. Always thinking about just physical, fleshly things. They have no room. Because you know why? Throughout the week, those who put effort to live as souls. For for the souls that they are, they pray. For the souls there, they try to obey and gather and evangelize and serve. Then this is the hour. Oh my God, I'm being fed. This is like all you can eat buffet. Amen. There you go. Amen. The people who only care about the real all-you-can-eat buffet at the restaurant. This lady must have had really good stuff for breakfast. She's full of energy. He purchased me with his precious blood. What that means is that I have been purchased with the blood of God. I, soul. So we say I, soul, or my soul. My soul has been traded with the blood of God. Do you realize how shocking that statement is? Do you realize that? So what, is, what are you worth? What are you worth? I'm worth the blood of God. Don't you feel sorry saying that? Me? But I get $16 an hour at my job and I'm worth the blood of God? That's right. Physically, it doesn't matter whether you get $16 an hour or $1,600 an hour. It doesn't matter. But your soul has been bought, sold, bought, traded, traded with the precious blood of God. Why is it precious? Because it's the blood of God. No one can outbid that price because it's the highest price. The bitter, bitter name the highest price, which is my blood, God said. Oh, I knew it. Because I'm the star in my family. I'm the most precious thing in my family. They love me. And my job, they love me. I'm the, I'm the most popular person in the room and blah, blah. Maybe. But for most, not. The Christian is someone who knows that he's a soul. And therefore knows the value of his soul. Once belonging to the devil, going to hell. But by his grace heard the gospel and opened his heart to receive, opened his heart, the heart, the soul, to receive his blood, accepting the fact, accepting, receiving that I, soul, have been traded, exchanged with the blood of God. The blood of God. The world may value, put our values on, yes, the shekels, the price, grams of silver, gold. That's called your wages, living wages. Many of you are doing taxes now, <laughs> living wages. What are my wages? This is what I earned last year, so that's my worth. Or maybe not just like physically, quickly, what you wear, the jewelries you put on your clothes, or what kind of car you drive, and people look at you quickly scanning, oh, you're worth this and this and that. And when people don't have that, they get discouraged. They look at other people, better things. And, oh, you don't even actually look at them. Now you do this. You look at other people. Oh, my God, they got better things than me. They look better than me. They look fancier and, and more valuable than me. So compared to other people, people out of the world get depressed. And they feel like they're not worth it. 
And they feel lowly. They feel ashamed of where they come from. Drop me off here so you don't see me where I am, where I live. Because they get judged by where they are, what they have, what they don't have. All physical, all physical, all worldly. But the Christian is someone who knows that I'm a soul. And I have been bought at the price of the blood of God. How can this be possible? This is only possible because God is the Lord of grace. Not because I deserve it, but because he is gracious and because he desired to be our father, our redeemer from everlasting. So if I knew that, then I cannot belittle my soul. I cannot degrade my soul. I cannot devalue my soul or neglect my soul. If I know the value of my soul, then I need to treat it as precious as the blood of God. Do you understand? Your value is not about what you wear, what you have, and how much money is in your bank account. Your value in the eyes of God, all those things will burn away and fade away in the end. Think about how sad this life is, how meaningless. All the stuff that people try to claim as their own. My, 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 my. And there's even saying the guy with most toys when he dies wins or something like that, right? So people try to get more toys, more stuff, more stuff, 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 stuff. But in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter what you have. It is about your soul. I have bought you with my own blood. How many people in the world do you know anyone who will pay the price of their own life to buy you? But God did this impossible thing because he is the Lord of grace. Humility, different from devaluing or neglecting or degrading, is to willingly lower oneself to not to be proud. But devaluing and belittling is like, I'm not worth anything. I am worthless. I am am nothing because everyone else has everything. Feeling relatively in comparison to what the world has with physical things, they devalue themselves. And then maybe at some point even give up. And people even take the extreme action like suicide because they feel their life is worthless, not meaningful to live for. But we, no matter how people see us or judge us or value us, we have to understand by, by the Holy Spirit who came to lead us by grace First of all, by his grace, he has redeemed us. Yes? Amen? But we're not done. We are walking through this path called the wilderness life. Yes? We need his grace, therefore. The Holy Spirit came to lead us by grace out of this path, continually leading us so that in that day we will be led into his holy dwelling. Amen? Therefore, the Holy Spirit lets us know that there's nothing in the world that is worth trading my soul with because it has already been traded with the blood of God. I cannot trade it with the quote-unquote best job in the world or best career in the world. I cannot trade it even with my family, my loved ones. Do you understand that? That's why Yeshua said, anyone who leaves behind their father, their mother, their wife, their children, Because those are the most important thing to humans, right? In the world. 
But what he's saying is, I know those things are important for your physical life and physical being, but I have paid the price of my blood to purchase you and buy you back so that you belong to me and no one can steal you anymore, that you belong to me forever and ever. And then when I know that through the Holy Spirit, that I cannot treat my soul cheaply. I cannot toss away this value. But who would do that, Pastor? Why do you say that? Anyone who is not actively living for their souls, only on Sunday for an hour here at COJ. One hour a week. And they're not even living it. They're just kind of hearing it. I know. I know. It's like, I have to turn down the volume too. And I listen to my voice. Wow, who's this lady? Oh my God, so exciting. But think of how people treat his blood and this fact so making it so cheap. So that, that's why, it, it, while it is costly grace, a very famous theologian wrote that book, translated into English, costly grace. People turn costly grace into cheap grace. Because all they care for is blessing for their bodies and long life, health and happiness for their family and, and for their wealth and their career and success. Do well in school, get a good job and make a lot of money and be happy like everyone else. Cheap grace. The grace of God is not cheap like that. The grace of God costs the life of God. That's why we're instilling in you, like every preaching, who's Yeshua? He's God, he's God, he's God, he's God. The God who knows no sin became sin for us. Not because we're not, we're at the center of the world, no, because he is at the center. Amen? For him to be revealed as that center and for all, for himself, all things were made. But he decided to be glorified through by becoming our father, our redeemer. So we do not turn his grace to cheap grace by tossing away spiritual life when times of inconvenience comes. People say, I need to make more money, pastor. I like the people at COJ. I like your teeth preaching, but I need to make money. See you later. Or it's a little too much. You got a little too much. COJ is a little too much. There's so many churches out there. They're low key. I'm going to find church that works for me. Everything is about me. You do you. You be you. Okay, church is going to be me. My type. My type? What's my type? Why do you go to church anyway? What's the purpose? What's the purpose? Then you got to belong to church that is all about that. Amen? But how carelessly, how thanklessly say, oh, I need to take a break. It's a little too much. I need to take a break. I'm going to come whenever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. This church has got so many problems. This church, problem with this church is, in the beginning, they were all happy, joyful, filled with grace. First tasting the love of God and people being so nice to them by the, with the love of God, all joyful, all going, right? And then what happened? Time passes, certainly there's struggle called the wilderness life. What happened then? The two million people who left Egypt, who were redeemed, by Jehovah, with the promise that they will enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. What happened during the 40 years? All died complaining, resenting, wanting to go back to the world, the past. All about grain, grumbling, complaining. So you got to watch your mouth. If you ever hear fellow brother, sister complaining, hold their hand and say, let's pray. Let's pray. 
so that you help them not sin further. Sin. Because they die grumbling to God, grumbling to Moses. So what we're in now is this wilderness life where our faith is tested. The way that we can overcome this and not forget is the fact that Yeshua shed his precious blood to purchase me. And I belong to him and I love him. Don't you ever forget that. That is the power of his redeeming love. The power of his redeeming redemptive grace that will carry me through that's why the holy spirit came if you look at another and you are looking laterally looking around and looking back you're done you're done that's why horse races get blinders on right and they only look forward stay on track keep running listening to the jockey who's slapping kicking and whistling and directing, and they go forward. As soon as you look to the side, you start complaining, judging. Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Judge, 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 judge. And then turning back, I'm going back. Because they have never known the grace of God that redeemed their soul with the price of the blood of God. They think they did. They acted as they did. They sang songs like they did. They even gave some money, some hours of service, but they never knew. So the Christian, the true Christian who knows the true value of his soul, keeps his integrity. Integrity. Integrity as someone who belongs to Yeshua. Do you believe you belong to Yeshua? Say it with me. I belong to Yeshua. I am his. That means to no longer live our life like animals. Or devil servant. Romans 6, 11, 14 talks about that. In the same way, account yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace who is my master who is your master who's your daddy same who's your daddy not sin not sin so if i belong to christ I no longer sin. I hate sin. I'm struggling, but I'm, I hate it. So if I try, try not to sin. I sin and then I end up sinning. What do I do? I beat my chest and I mourn and repent bitterly. So he gives me power to not sin the same. That is somebody who truly belongs to Christ. People who are still enjoying, enjoying the ways of the world and pleasure of the flesh are still in Egypt. They never left. They think they left because everyone has left and they're all saying about it. Oh yeah, I left? Yeah, okay, I left. No, they didn't. Someone who knows the value of his soul as belonging to the blood of God and bought bought at the price of blood of God, therefore belonging to Yeshua, knows that his soul and flesh all belong to him. My soul, my flesh belong to him. What do you say? And what does your flesh have? We learned last night, flesh means what? Time. 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 Flesh is time. This flesh 
It's time. I told you the price varies by the time that it has been around. It has been around. And it's ticking bomb. Time's running out. I can't stop it. It's like the... I'm going to end the saying the very famous soap opera. Maybe uh, Brian Pena knows the soap opera because he used to uh, translate into Spanish. Anyway, so the hourglass, the sand in the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Anyway, I used to watch that when I was, I, so that's why I know that. Anyway, so the, <laughs> the, the, the hourglass, you flip it over and then and it's like a, what, a minute clock, right? So it goes, shh, and then you flip it over again and shh, goes. So the, like sand is being poured. Like it can, you can't hold it. And when you look at it, that's my time in my flesh. I can't stop it. I'm like, I'm not going to sleep. What? what? You're not going to sleep and time's going to No, it's not. Your time's running out. So question is, if I belong to him, how am I using my time? Oh my God, this COJ is demanding so much of my time. I don't have my own time. Me time. You belong to Christ. And church is allowing through the Holy Spirit, by grace, guiding you and me, all of us, to prepare ourselves, becoming master's joy and being profitable to my master, using my time in the flesh. The time in the flesh, the talent of the flesh, the knowledge and experience of this flesh, the skills of this flesh, whatever you can offer, whatever you can do in your flesh, all belong to the Lord. No? You read the Bible once, some of you twice? Three times? How can you say no if you really read the Bible? Because here in COJ, we only stick to the Bible. Yeah. Amen? I belong to the Lord. I belong to the body of the Lord. Did I lose anybody? I belong to the Lord. Amen. You belong to the head, but you don't belong to the body? What is that? I love you, head, but I don't. What is the body of Christ? The church. I don't. You love the Lord, but the church. Because you see people. That's why. You see people. You need to understand the body of Christ is the church. And this is where the Holy Spirit is guiding us by grace. This desert life, this wilderness life. Also known as church life. Amen. Yeah, think about, at least we don't have 2 million people to fight with. We, we have like, what, hundreds of people? And they don't even, you don't even, like, you know, contact them all the time. The people that you interact, maybe 200, a little less than that. So thank the Lord about that, right? So Holy Spirit guides me by grace, by grace. Because for me to escape this burning universe in the end, I need his grace. We need his grace. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the church. So church is the place where we are using our time, our talent, our knowledge, and our skill. As simple as that. Amen? That's why by the Holy Spirit, the leaders are always thinking about programs and, and places and times and opportunities to use up my talent. But it's not my talent anymore. I'm saying it, but it belongs to him. So when the Lord says, I need you for this, what do you say? I'll think about it. That's not when you say, I'll pray about it. I already pray about it. And I'm telling you, the Lord has a need of you. The Lord has a need of your talent, your tie, your treasure, your everything. And I can only say, it's my honor to be your joy. It's my honor to be profitable for my master. 
He bought me back. Lastly, Romans 8.23 says, Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So there, it says redemption of our bodies, which is adoption to sonship. We have been born again in the blood of Yeshua, blood of God. And therefore, we are children of God. Say amen if you become a child of God. And that's by the blood of Yeshua. You have been redeemed in your spirit, in your soul. Yes? But it says adoption to sonship. What does that mean? Why are we adopted? I thought we were given birth. Jesus gave birth to us. I talked about it last night too. That we are being adopted from earth to heaven. From what? From here to? From earth to heaven. We've never been to heaven. Anybody in the room who's been to heaven already? I don't think so. Yeah, okay. No one's been dead. No one's gone to heaven. So we have to believe it. We've never been there. That's like adoption. You've been adopted. And you're going to go to a new family. To such and such place. You've never been there. But it's coming. That's going to be your new home. It's a perfect place. There's only love there. There's only love, joy, peace, and rest there. And you will live like God, with God, in his environment. Amen? That's why it's adoption to sonship. And it's also referred to as a redemption of our bodies. It says bodies, but it doesn't mean physical body. But the spirit inside must grow into spiritual body through resurrection. Amen? So, redemption of my soul has been done through Yeshua when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. But the redemption of my body is yet to happen. Amen? The blood that I receive must continue to grow to become the body. So, when Yeshua comes back, the goal, the goal of my life, which is resurrection to life, the first resurrection will take place so that we may enter eternal life. Hallelujah! Are you grateful? That you have been bought at the highest price of the blood of God? Are you living your life worth the blood of God? That's the question. If I'm living as a soul who has been bought by the blood of Yeshua, I am not intimidated by the powers of the world. I am not intimidated by anybody who will call me a loser because I'm a Christian or like you're weird. I'm not, aware, I'm not worried about being canceled. Because I belong to God. I belong to Yeshua. I am his. And therefore, not only me, I put effort to see souls and share the good news. No need to be sad because you don't have as many toys as your friends. No need to be distraught or discouraged because you're not successful in life. Whether you're successful or not. Whether you're rich or poor, sick or healthy. Whatever you are, your soul has been bought with the blood of God. Now you have reason to live. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit lead us by grace. Let us open our hearts and open our eyes so we press on and not give up. But in the end that we enter the holy dwelling. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes and really look at ourselves in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God. Put those blinders on and stop looking at other people and stop complaining. Why so many complaints and why so many excuses? When God paid the highest price to purchase you, do you know what that grace is? Who am I? Who are we as humans? He can use us and toss us and not be sorry, not be regretful at all. But because he's the Lord of grace, he decided in the beginning to be our redeemer. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Yeshua. I belong to you. I love you. There is no one like you. Please leave me my grace. By grace you redeem my soul. But from now, from here to eternity, I need your grace to continue to lead me. Let's raise our hands up and call on his name, Yeshua.